Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Monday, January the 1st. And welcome to our commentary. Happy New Year. You know, I don't remember the last time. I guess it happens every seven or eight years, I guess. But the last time that uh, December 1st was a Monday. So uh, I guess, uh, yeah, it happens every seven years, I guess. But uh, Happy New Year to all of you. I hope you had a good day. I hope you had a good December 31st party if you went to one or if you stayed home. Whatever you did, I hope you had a wonderful time uh, with your family and with your friends and that uh, you're ready to go for what should be an exciting uh, 2024. You know, I almost said 19 because it just seems like these years are going by so fast. But uh, 20, 2024 lies uh, ahead of us. One of the characteristics of, uh, of January the 1st, of course, over the years, has been all these college football games, these bowl games that we uh, have grown accustomed to. And now they've, they've changed it all around. And now the bowl games are part of a playoff system where, you know, this team ends up here and that team ends up there. And it's all part of this elimination or playoff system uh, that they created. I'm not, uh, I'm not upset with the playoff system, but I still, I'm a big fan of the more traditional bowl games. You know, the Cotton Bowl here, in Dallas used to be on on the first of the year, and it was always uh, it would always feature a, a Texas team, Arkansas, Oklahoma, uh, teams like that who would always play at the Cotton Bowl. So you had not only a uh, regional interest, uh, but the game itself would always be against, uh, let's say, the winner of another conference. And I used to love that. I used to love the Cotton Bowl when it uh, was that way. The Rose Bowl, of course, for a long time. Was a uh, it included the Pac-10? I think it was the Pac-10 and the Big Ten. So you had that uh, in the big ceremony, of course, uh, coming from uh, from Pasadena. You know the Rose Parade, and then you had uh, I guess the Orange Bowl, the the different bowls, and the one in New Orleans. Uh, I think it was called the Sugar Bowl. So you had all these different bowls, but all of them had a regional interest uh, or regional participation by teams in those areas. And I think that that's what made it more interesting. Now it's all the playoff system. Now is, you know, you end up wherever you end up. That doesn't mean that the games are bad. It doesn't mean that the teams are bad, but you do get away from that more traditional uh, regional emphasis that you had in these bowl games before. So maybe I'm a traditionalist. Uh, maybe it's generational, probably more generational than anything else. If you grow up uh, loving the cotton bowl, then, uh, you know, it probably uh, means more to you than than it is right now. But there's some great teams, Michigan, Alabama. You got Texas. You got Washington. That's all going to be settled uh, uh, later today. And it should be should be a great year for college football. I just wish I guess my own again, I think it's more generational than anything else. I just wish we could go back to those days with the Cotton Bowl and the Rose Bowl the way it used to be. But uh, I guess we're not going back to that. So uh, let it be uh, let it be the way it is. I have a post over at the American Thinker today, remembering January 1st, uh, 1959. And that, of course, was the day that uh, communism came to Cuba. Now, it didn't come right away. Uh, it took about a couple of years for it to consolidate itself. But this was the day uh, that Castro came into power. And this was the beginning, I think, of what I call in the article... Uh, the beginning of the destruction of Cuba. Now, I was a, a little boy back then, uh, but, uh, you know, obviously I lived it through 
the experience of my parents. And we fled the island in 1964, like many other Cubans did. But January the 1st uh, always has this uh, eerie feeling, as I write in my uh, in my article, because you know, it, it, it's a question that I think a lot of Cubans, particularly of my parents' generation, have always asked themselves, and that is, how did this happen? How did we let this happen? How is it possible that communism came to Cuba when nobody really predicted that? And, uh, you know, I've had uh, uh, people very well known in Cuban history who've told me that if anybody had said 65 years ago today, that this was the beginning of a communist dictatorship, they would have laughed at you. They would have said, no, that'll never happen. The United States will never allow that to happen. That, that, was, the other, uh, that was the other argument. So, But anyway, you know what happened? Castro has been in power for 65 years. Castro has now been dead for seven years. His brother, even though he's not officially in power, probably still runs things. Uh, from the background. His brother, of course, is almost 90 years old himself. And I don't know what kind of health he's in, but uh, there are rumors that he's not. There is a president of Cuba now selected by the Communist Party. And he's a younger man. He was born actually after 1959. I think he was born in the early 60s. And, uh, you know, he's part of the regime. And Cuba today continues to to be the, the basket case, the economic basket case that it's been for quite some, some time. And I think this is the hardest thing I know for my parents' generation. This was the hardest thing to see the way Cuba uh, was destroyed. You know, Cuba went from being a prosperous middle class country as it was in the late 50s with a strong economy, uh, with a high level of prosperity. There were many political problems. I'm not trying to overlook that. There were some political problems, and there were some problems also in the way that uh, the wealth was distributed. But there was a sizable middle class. There was a very stable economy. And one of the things that I talk about in my article is that in the first 50 years, if you look at Cuba, the first uh, half of the 20th century, the pre-Castro period, the pre-communist period, Cuba was blessed with huge migrations of Europeans, um, most of them from Spain, but lots of different European countries. Uh, there were many Jewish uh, Europeans who moved uh, to Cuba. There were many Asians uh, who moved to Cuba. Cuba had a very significant Chinese population. I mean, there was Chinese sections in, in Havana that were pretty, uh, pretty amazing. So, I mean, the country, for all of its political problems, for all of its, you know, growing up problems, remember the country only became independent in 1902. For all of those problems, Nevertheless, the country was prospering, and as I said, there was a strong middle class. And then comes this communist uh, regime, and you know it all kinds of falls apart. It falls apart. I think at first many Cubans thought it would go away. They didn't think it would last. I think a lot of Cubans thought the United States would never put up with it. Put up with it. I mean, in other words, the United States would never allow a communist satellite uh, ninety miles away. I think that was an expectation that many Cubans had, particularly of my uh, parents' generation. But the bottom line is that, uh, you know, we left and he stayed and he consolidated his dictatorship. And here we are, 65 years later, the country's a mess, a disaster. Uh, it has an aging population because there's very little. The birth rates are very low and young people get out as soon as they can. So uh, it's a real tragedy. It's a real tragedy, Cuba. 
Now, both of my parents are gone, um, and most of the Cubans of that generation are now gone. And uh, left behind are people like me who grew up in, who was born in Cuba, who grew up in, in the United States. But we still have memories. We still have thoughts about uh, this day, not necessarily this day, but certainly what happened uh, in Cuba as a consequence of, of this day. So check out my article. I have it over at, uh, at the American Thinker. They're also running it, by the way, at Babalu, the Cuban-American blog. So whether you follow me at American Thinker or you check my uh, post at, uh, at Babalu, you can always, of course, get it on Twitter or on my blog uh, as well. But Cuba, 1959, the 65 years of communism and destruction. That's the name of the, that's the, name of the post uh, over at the American Thinker, and as well as uh, as Babalu. Well, I have a post uh, coming out uh, Tuesday morning where I'm talking about President Trump, and I'm doing a little bit of an early prediction or pronostication. Is that what they call it? Not, not No, no, let me say the right word. Prediction about 2024, where I write that if the election were held today, Trump would win. Trump would win. And uh, he is ahead in, in the general polls over a couple of points over over uh, President Biden and what they call the RCP average. That's basically head-to-head polling. Uh, that doesn't include a third-party candidate, which I think could be a real factor this year with Robert Kennedy if he can get on 50 ballots. I, I think Robert Kennedy could get as much as 10%. Some people say even 15 And that could, uh, I think, hurt uh, whoever the Democrat uh, nominee is, Biden, at the moment. But I believe that if the election were held today, that President Trump would win. He would go back uh, to the White House. And it's uh, it's basically dissatisfaction with Biden. It's just total, complete dissatisfaction with Biden. Uh, there's just a sense that the country is very being poorly run. Uh, this situation on the border is just, I, I mean, it is unexplained. I don't know how anybody can explain it. I mean, I, I, I have not heard a single Democrat defend what this administration is doing on the border because it cannot be defended. They've, they've basically allowed, uh, you know, six to seven million people to come into the country on the basis of an asylum meeting that they're going to have. You know, how do you do something like that? I was watching uh, Representative Henry Cuellar. Uh, he's a Democrat from the border, Representative uh, U.S. House. And he was saying that out of 100 people who seek asylum, something like 87% are rejected. And his point was, why are we allowing 100 in? Why don't we just right at the border or have them stay in Mexico, which is what the previous administration, the Trump administration, had done. So that way that when they come in, they've already been accepted or their asylum request has been accepted. That's the way it was working under Trump. But uh, the Biden administration changed it. And I think they've messed it up very badly, very badly. And I believe the border is one of the real problems uh, of this administration. And one more point I made in, in my post is that I believe foreign policy is going to be a major issue in 2024. I'm not predicting a war, but I think tensions around the world are going to get very high. There could be a war, but uh, I think tensions are going to be very high. And foreign policy is going to be a big topic, a big preoccupation of the American people. And that, I think, is going to benefit uh, President Trump, which, by the way, in my post, I also recommend uh, to President Trump that he nominate somebody for vice president who has a strong foreign policy credential. 
because I think that's going to be one of the big stories of 2024. I recommended Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State, as a potential vice president because of his uh, vast experience in foreign policy. But anyway, Happy New Year to you. I appreciate very much all your clicks and all your comments. And uh, we got a whole year ahead of us. So we're getting together with commentary and with some of our guests as we do from time to time. And you have a wonderful January the 1st. I hope your team wins. And we'll talk to you later. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.